we've been speaking about love for some time and we shouldn't get tired of this but today we're looking at more uh, we're going to talk about covenant love but what I might call love when it's hard hard love the stuff that we don't like to think about because we like nice love don't we so um, I'm ready for 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. Okay, now I'm doing this in four parts and it's important to understand, I'm going to tell you my methods in a minute, but first part is simply this, as he is, so is his children. If you want to understand what we are to live as children of God, you've got to understand who he is. Okay? Secondly, we're going to understand what covenant love is because when we say God is love, sometimes we could think there's a lot, of, a lot about love spoken in our culture. Uh, is that what God's like? Is he the ultimate, you know, of a, of a, a rom-com with Hugh Grant in it or something like that? <laughs> Is that, is, that the ultimate, is that what God's like? So what's covenant love? Third part is, we are like him in covenant love. That's the hard part of the service today. And the fourth part is, we need the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I'm actually working through this passage in that order. And he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, uh, sorry, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, as God is, so are his children. That's, that's the whole point. You want to understand what it is to be a child of God. We are given first and foremost, as his children, the character of God. So he is love. He, and, and what does that love mean? We, we'll define it more as we go along. But his love is self-sacrificing. It is self-giving. It is other person-centred. So his love is not selfish. His love is not self-centred, it's not self-seeking. God in his love upholds creation. Now that might sound, it sounds nice, he upholds and keeps creation going for a whole lot of rotten people sometimes. You understand? Why would he do that? People say, why does he cause bad things to happen? Why does he cause so much good to bad people? We don't ask that question, do we? (laughs) Okay. When... um, we talk to teenagers at uh, high school, but also old people too. We say, you know, love's not just a nice lot of feelings. Love is when you actually have to give up something of yourself for another person. I know we talked about a bit, this a bit last week, but I'll go back over just a bit of it. You've got to give up some of your rights and some of your comfort for love to be love. You've got to give something that you want to keep for yourself, that selfishness, some of the resources and the time and the Tim Tams or whatever it is that you could have for yourself, you've got to actually lay them down and give them to another people. That's what love is. And if you're doing it to get something in return, it's not love. 
You get that? And so that's what God's like towards us. And so are his children. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So we are being conformed to the image of Jesus, right? Every day he is conforming us to his, the likeness of his son. And so he who is love means as we're conformed, we are day by day growing in love for one another. It's got to be that way or else anyone who does not know God it does not love, does not know God. So if you're not actually being conformed to actually love, you actually don't know God. If you keep living in selfishness and self-centeredness, then that actually just shows that we don't know God. So why I'm saying that is if you're here in this, right, try harder to love, you've missed the point. He's saying if you don't love, you're actually not, you're not born again. So you, you, need, you need that step first. But as God is love, so his children will love. And in verse 9 he says, This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And what we said last week is that love is always an action and it's only known by action. It's not known by words. You can have a whole lot of selfish, abusive people say, I love you, and it means nothing. But love is always known through action and God in his action sent his son. He acted and... um, you know, the whole, we, we, if we're thinking of love as being pleasurable, the whole action of God sending his son was not necessarily pleasurable. I'll say it again. Love is always other person-centred. Which is the first part. For us to be like God is to love like he is. The second part is about love as a covenant love. And what does covenant mean? He said, this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, atoning sacrifice is drawing from Old Testament words, you know, the atonement, the, the sacrifice made, right? And it's, and it's about covenant. It's about the spilling of blood as a promise of something God would do. Okay? I mean, um, if you were to read... Uh, Genesis chapter 15, and I hope you go home and do this, you'll see a, co- a covenant ceremony in the Old Testament. Now, what a covenant ceremony was something like this. I'm just going to picture it in simple language. Fraser's got the nation of Fraserdom, and, I, and, and over here is the nation of Grahamdom, but they're at war with each other. They've been fighting with each other for some time, and what would happen... Fraser, you know, he'd go out and fight and kill Graham's men and Graham would sneak in and pillage and steal his stuff and all that sort of stuff. They're at war. And then they decide they want to be at peace. So what they would do is that this ancient ceremony was that they would get an animal, say a cow or something like that, they would kill it and they would actually saw it in two, straight down the middle, and lay the halves apart like this idol is here. And then what would happen is... Fraser would stand at the end here and he would begin and he would make some promises. I promise I will no longer kill Graham's men. I will no longer steal his stuff. I will respect him and care for him. And then he'd walk between the pieces of the animal. And then Graham would stand there. He would make the same promises and he would walk between them. And that was a binding covenant. And what they were saying was, if I break my promise, may I be like this beast is on the ground. Cut in two. That's, it's mentioned in Jeremiah. It's mentioned in 
Genesis 15. So you understand the concept. May I be dead meat if I break my promise. Okay. Now when Abraham was told to do this in Genesis 15, he lays it out. So what, it, what Abraham would have been expecting is, I'm going to make some promises to God, he's going to make some promises to me, and we're going to walk through there. But that's not what happened. He, the whole scene stopped, and God walks through in the form of a smoking brazier and in the form of a blazing torch himself, and God makes promises to Abraham. I'll bless you, you'll have many descendants, you can have children and, and so on. I will be your God, you'll be my people. I am going to do this. Now, why I'm saying that is because, you see, what God is saying is, may I be torn in two if I break my promises. I promise I'll be my, your God, you'll be my people. We are going to have a perfect, perfect covenant relationship, God and his people. That's not how it worked out. It wasn't a perfect covenant relationship, was it? The people rebelled against God. The relationship wasn't perfect, not because of God. He kept his promises. But the covenant was broken by the people. And so Jesus came to earth as a man, right, to take the punishment for the sin of those who had broken the covenant. The people have broken the covenant and Jesus had to become a man to stand in the place of humanity and then he, at the Last Supper, held up a piece of bread and he broke it in two and he said, what? This is my body. It's broken in two for you. Do you get that? My body has become the sign of the punishment that I would restore the relationship of God with humanity that that you broke. I promised to be your people, be your God, and you to be my people. You broke it, but I can't go back on my word. So His body was broken for them, and then He says, "This is the blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins." Why is the forgiveness of sins necessary to restore the relationship which God had promised? Right back from Abraham. It's covenant love. Okay, so if you can see that, now just step back and see that promise made, God kept at all costs, at great pain to himself. God completely lowered himself to become a servant, to serve humanity even unto death. And he did it in the face of rejection, hatred, insults, mocking, beating and so on and he went through with that covenant love because he'd made a promise and he brought forgiveness and what he did that meant that he brought the weight of sin as sin onto himself even though he'd done no wrong now I'm going to come back remember I've said before as God is so are we it's really important for us to remember that because that's where I'm going if you think I'm just this is really really important to understand the atoning sacrifice, the covenant, is not is, is, is everything God's done for us in Christ, but as he is, so are we. So the next verse says, after saying before he gave his life as an atoning sacrifice, dear friends, since God loved us, uh, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
In other words, as God's loved you, love one another. And that's where we get to the third point. We are like him in covenant love. Our nature is to be like God. What does this look like? It means that our love is intensely other person centred. It makes promises that are not conditioned on good behaviour. I'll give you good things if you do good. It is a love that does not give up on other people. You know what I mean? I'm just sick of you. I quit it. God does not. You know, he understands a good promise for you. God is never going to say, I'm sick of you. That's it. I'm just leaving you. He's never going to say that. Do you know, that's what his promises mean. So as he is, so are we. Here we get. He, we, our love is freely forgiving other people, refusing to hold people's sin against them. Even really, really horrible people have been nasty to us, who have abused us to our face. When we see them, we will not hold their sin in front of them and look at them through their sin. Hear that? Christians are not people who say that's unforgivable. You hear that? Sounds a bit impossible, doesn't it? (laughs) Christians do not take the victim status. We don't talk about our rights. We give and love for the good of others. Again, in the face of hatred, insult, abuse and rejection. Now, broken this down into a number of aspects of life, just to talk about the covenant relationship. I'll start with marriage, even though we often talk about it, but covenant marriage promises in in the vows to love the person regardless of their behaviour and regardless of circumstances. In sickness and health, you know, whatever. Whatever the future holds. To love and serve you. To give myself and it I tell you, marriage love causes pain because you've got to give up of your own rights, your own pleasures for the good of another person and to forgive and not keep a list of records done, a records wrong. Love keeps no record of wrongs, yeah? Because, don't you hate it in marriages? She did this, she did that, he did that, I'm so hurt. Me, 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 me. Get sick of that. So theoretically they can't say you. <laughs> that's right no, keeps no record of wrong covenant marriage instead of saying she did this says I promised this get that and I'll do it with the Lord's help that's important the Lord's help we'll talk about that at the end in covenant families oh, you might think I'm talking about the world here I'm talking about the church yeah covenant it's it, it, same with marriages Families break apart. Families who do not speak to each other, who refuse to forgive, who hold grudges. They have memories like elephants, don't they? Christians, supposedly, living like this. Covenant families forgive, which means they bear the pain of sucking up when someone sinned against you. They bear the pain of the sin of another because their relationships are promised. They're not, they're not covenant just because you're born into a family. Okay? There's plenty of proof of that in broken families. 
But there is a promise which says, I will love you, not based on your behaviour. Now, in, in our victimhood, we say this comment, yes, but we're not going to become doormats, are we? Because God would never want us to become doormats. Understand when Jesus was bearing the sin of the world, he became, he, he bore in himself the abuse of the abuser and he became that, that sin. He took the adultery of the adulterer. He took the violence. He said, I am guilty of those things into himself. I will take the punishment for that. Now, you've got to say, in one sense, he bore, he became a heavenly doormat for our sin and for the sin of the world. Do you understand? He didn't say, well, I'll take it as long as you change your behaviour and you become good people. He took it. And so it is with Christian families. Otherwise, I'll forgive you, but I'm watching you. If you make one more mistake, I'm going to walk out on you because I'm sick of you. God's promise to his family was, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. As God is, so are his children. I'll just say this quickly, in any of these situations, if you've got unforgiveness and you've got broken relationships and there's people that have hurt you, it's time to humble yourself and to take the lower position as God's done with us, to love in covenant love. Covenant friendships, that's where you bear with one another, you are loyal, you stand alongside people who are sometimes difficult, who are lonely, who are weak, who are in need. And it takes effort. It means going outside of yourself to help people who are doing it tough. And it's hard work and it's frustrating. It's not lovely and it, you don't ride off into the sunset with any of this. We, have to gi- we give ourselves to difficult, awkward people. And we, we give ourselves to smelly people. That's the worst, isn't it? People who smell funny. What about people who swear and are drug addicted? And we invite them into our homes and we love them and we give to them. Or or our friendships, if if our friendships are just built around people who are just like us, because Jodie and I can find nice 50-year-olds or 48-year-olds in her case, (laughs) who, who have nice teenage children who get along well with our children and that's the only people we mix with. That's, and they'll be lovely Christians. But you see, and we, it's good to have nice dinner parties with nice people who say nice things to each other, but covenant friendships go deeper than that. They actually, it's about inviting people who, what, they're 40-year-olds. They're not even our age. Or 30-year-olds or 70-year-olds, people who are doing it tough and to actually love them. What I'm saying is covenant friendships make life messy. And it remains messy. That's covenant. Yep. Jesus, just think about his three and a half years on on earth as he lived covenant love. In covenant relationships, blood is spilled. Pain happens. That's covenant. Do you understand? I uh, remember uh, talking recently to someone who said uh, that cancer, and they said, you know, when you get cancer and you're dying, Christians stop visiting you. Isn't that, isn't that horrible? 
because they don't know what to do with it. Some, not all, not all do, but a lot do because they too difficult. And people hold back from visiting grieving people because it's hard. It, and is it hard? Absolutely, that's covenant. Um, people who have broken marriages, Christians don't deal with that very well, so we don't we don't do it. We hold back. We do this thing where, um, and this is just personally speaking, not speaking about anyone else. I sent them a text and they didn't reply. So that's it. I'm giving up on them. Gee, that's strong covenant love, isn't it? Yeah. And then I come to church and sing. He chases me down. He fights till I'm found. But they sent me a text. and I sent them a text. I never responded to that stuff. I'm, I'm out of here. It's about not just leaving people who annoy us and frustrate us. It's about being intensely loyal to people who are, are hard to deal with. And forgiving and bearing the weight of that forgiveness in ourselves. Because someone's got to bear the pain. It's remembering that the sheep that was lost was not lost because it just wandered off in the wrong direction. It jumped the fence and it ran away because it didn't want to be in the shepherd's pen. Okay, That's the people we chase. Difficult people. And if you think I'm talking about those outside the church, I'm talking about those inside the church. Yep. As he is, so are we. So if we understand the covenant love of God and the way he's expressed that, then we become people who live in that. And that's what it means to love one another, which is such a nice little saying. Love one another. It takes everything you've got to love one another and so you will need to live by his spirit. You will need to live every day by faith. There is no way we can do that on our own. He says, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. God lives in us. I tell you, if I was giving you a rev up to tell you how to love people, you're all going to fail. But under the power of God that comes by the Holy Spirit, his love is made complete in you. Yeah? You will covenant love as he has covenant loved you. And as John says, said from the start, then your joy will be complete. As his love's made complete in you, you'll have complete joy. Now understand, I'll say it again, this is not the joy of a blissful ending. This is the joy of a struggle and a hard-fought love. Because that's what love's about. Then your joy is complete. Because then you are living as the Father and the Son lived in the power of the Holy Spirit who shows you everything of the Father and Son. And I'll tell you this, God in his love is the most joyful person in the whole universe. There's no one, more jo- no one more joyful than God. And our joy is complete when we live in him and him in us. And that happens again through the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit and the first one of these is love. And that love is not just love, it's covenant love. That's what is a fruit of having the Holy Spirit. His love starts to bear out in us and it is hard love, it's real love, it's love with guts. As an old preacher we used to know, uh, used to say, God's love is strong, strong love. It gives up of itself. And the Holy Spirit does the absolutely impossible in you. 
You see, so much time on the Holy Spirit's like, we get the Holy Spirit so he can fulfil all of our selfishness, so that he gives us comfort and we can have a nice time, so that we can duck the pain and have an easy life. But what I'm saying is, when you receive the Holy Spirit who gives you covenant love, love becomes, it becomes full, but life is hard. It becomes a war of the flesh and spirit. Your flesh against the Holy Spirit. Who will win in all Christians? He will win. He will drive you. He is conforming you. He is changing you. And he gives you the ability to do this miracle. To love. To care for others. To give up your own time, your own self. He gives you that miracle. He gives this miracle where you don't hold on to your own rights, even when it hurts. Even... Caring and spending time with people who are frustrating and annoying and maybe a little bit smelly. We absolutely need the Holy Spirit and, it, and ask for the Holy Spirit, ask for his strength. When you are next frustrated by a person or you next have that thought, ah, oh, I'm finished with them, ask the Lord to give you strength and say, Holy Spirit, fill me that I might have covenant love for that person because faithful is he who calls Because he will do it. He will do in you what he calls you to do. And your love, uh, sorry, his love will be made complete in you and your joy will be complete. But that's covenant love. And that's hard love. I'm going to pray. Father, it sounds glorious and uh, to talk about your love like this. But Father, we know it's hard. And I pray that you would pour your spirit on us. That you might make us bold to love, that you might make us strong to love, all in your strength, all in the power of your spirit, that your spirit would convict us where we are leaving people behind, where we've given up on people. Father, I pray that you would give us a love that's an everlasting love. And Father, I pray that you would give us this joy even in the mess, because we know that we are living as you are, conformed to the image of your Son. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.